Welcome to the markets. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, January 18. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson with our weekly look at markets from Wall Street to the soybean fields, the wheat fields, and the cattle feedlots. We do it every week, and we appreciate your company. And as usual, let's start with the numbers. And for the week today, the Dow Jones up 342 points to end the day and the week at 24,712. The S&P 500 gained 35 points to end the week at 2671. The Nasdaq Composite added 72 points to end the week at 7157. All three major indices registered four straight weeks of gains. That's the biggest four-week percentage gains since October of what year? 2011. And for the week, the S&P 500 rose 2.8%, the Dow rose 2.9%, and the NASDAQ rose 2 and two-thirds percent. So let's look at what went into the markets on this last trading day before the three-day holiday weekend. Well, of course, it was a rally. On increased hopes, the United States and China would resolve their trade dispute. I see this one coming and going every day. One day the market's up because we think it's going to end on the China-U.S. situation. And the next day the market goes down because we don't think it's going to be ironed out. But the market was boosted after a Bloomberg report said China sought to raise its annual goods imports from the United States by a combined value of more than $1 trillion in order to reduce its trade surplus to zero to zero by 2024. The news followed a report yesterday, Thursday, that U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Munkin was considering lifting some or all tariffs imposed on Chinese imports. A Treasury spokesman, though, denied he had made any such recommendation. But a strong rally in January has put the benchmark S&P 500 index on track for its best monthly gain since March of 2016. And the S&P 500 is now 9% below the December 20th record close after dropping 20% below that level, near the 20% threshold commonly considered to confirm a bear market that happened back on Christmas Eve. Even with the session's gains today, a relatively light trading volume during the week, indicating some investors are still waiting on the sidelines. And today, volume on U.S. exchanges, 7,990,000,000 shares and that's compared to the 8,440,000,000 average over the last 20 trading days. Analysts have lowered their fourth quarter earnings forecast for S&P 500 companies to 14.2% year over year. And uh, the shares of Schlumberger jumped 8%. 
After the oil field services provider reported quarterly revenue that beat estimates. On the other hand, shares of Netflix fell 4% after the video streaming company forecast lower than expected revenue for the fourth quarter. And taking a look at the oil market as we ended the day, oil was up uh, considerably today. Uh, oil prices jumped about 3%. And the reason OPEC detailed specifics on its production cut activities to ease global oversupply and again on signs of progress in ending the U.S. China trade war. Brent crude was up a dollar fifty-two cents a barrel to settle at sixty-two dollars seventy cents today, and U.S. crude added a dollar seventy-three to settle at fifty-three dollars and eighty cents. That's a gain of three and a third percent for the day. So we're in the earnings season, and let's look ahead to next week to see what kind of activity we've got on the docket. And it looks like it's going to be a busy week from the standpoint of earnings reports. And so here's what we're looking at. Intel Corporation expected to post an increase in fourth quarter revenue. And Western Digital Corporation, which makes hard drives for personal computers and businesses, expected to post a decline in second quarter revenue. Procter & Gamble expected to report a drop in second quarter revenues on Wednesday, hurt by weak demand for its baby, feminine, and family care products. The company has been raising prices for certain products to make up for higher commodity costs. And investors and analysts will look out for any updates on the forecast for the coming quarter and the entire year. Friday, Colgate Palmolive is expected to report a slight drop in fourth quarter profit hurt by higher input costs and a strong dollar. Colgate resorted to raising prices in emerging markets such as Latin America to buffer the higher raw material costs and the dollar impact. And then on the same day, Kimberly-Clark Corporation expected to report a decline in fourth quarter sales as it was hit by its personal care segment. And Kimberly-Clark's profit numbers will be in focus, particularly after the company last year warned of higher than expected raw material costs. We're hearing that a lot from companies of all kinds here in the United States. Bristol Myers Squibb expected to report fourth quarter earnings Thursday and questions about its plans to execute its $74 billion acquisition of Celgene Corporation expected to dominate the company management's call. Uh, Comcast Corporation expected to uh, post an increase in fourth quarter revenue and profit helped by more subscribers for its high-speed internet business. On Wednesday, Ford Motor Company scheduled to report a fourth quarter profit that it said on January 16th would come in below Wall Street expectations. Starbucks Corporation expected to post growth in first quarter same-store sales here in the United States on Thursday, driven by the popularity of holiday beverages. 
United Technologies Corporation expected to report higher revenue for the fourth quarter before the market opens on Wednesday. Freeport McMorrin expected to post a drop in quarterly profit as prices for the red metal have slipped in the past 12 months. And uh, what else is going on? Uh, National Association of Realtors likely to report that U.S. existing home sales in December dropped to 5,240,000 units. That would be down from 5,320,000 units in the previous month. International Business Machines, IBM. Fourth quarter revenue expected to drop due to a downturn in the mainframe cycle and a stronger dollar. Investors will be taking a look at uh, what their plans are for the future and uh, particularly on margin stability as services business and progression on the red hat deal. And Halliburton Company expected to post a fourth quarter profit The Travelers Company set to report results for the fourth quarter, and the results will follow a difficult quarter for U.S. property and casualty insurers marked by the California wildfires, Hurricane Michael, and early winter storms in the Northeast and the Midwest. And, of course, we'll tell you again, as we have for several days, it's a holiday trading weekend because on Monday, markets will be closed to observe Martin Luther King Jr. Day across the nation, a federal holiday. So any reports from the due from the government and, uh, of course, market activity will be quiet that day. They'll not be trading in the United States. A couple of other things that uh, we'll take a look at that happened late this week. U.S. regulators have met to discuss imposing a fine against Facebook for violating a legally binding agreement with the government to protect the privacy of personal data. That report on Friday in the Washington Post. The Federal Trade Commission has been investigating Facebook since last year It has not finalized its findings in the probe or the total amount of penalty, according to the newspaper story. Facebook has talked with FTC staff about the investigation, and uh, it's unclear if the company would settle with the FTC by accepting a significant penalty, which is expected to be much larger than the $22.5 million fine the agency imposed on Alphabet's Google back in 2012. So um, that's late news coming in at the end of the trading week involving Facebook that uh, is getting more and more familiar with the uh, Washington interpretation of what's correct and what's not. And uh, Tesla makes it into the news almost every week. So let me end this segment with a story that Tesla today said it would cut thousands of jobs to cut costs as it plans to increase production of lower price versions of its crucial Model 3 sedan. That sent its shares down as much as 10%. 
And, of course, we know the company has struggled to achieve long-term profitability, trying to keep a tight lid on expenses. Also said it expects fourth quarter profit to be lower than the preceding quarter. Chief Executive Officer Elon Musk said the need for lower-priced versions of Model 3 will become even greater from July when the U.S. tax credit again drops in half, adding $1,875 to the car's price tag and again at the end of the year when it goes away entirely. And that's not too far away. So some of the things we're keeping an eye on, and uh, we're going to talk agricultural markets with Max Armstrong and his guest, Clayton Pope, when we continue on the markets. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Well, Mr. Mike, let's talk about markets with Clayton Pope here for just a moment. Clayton, it's that time of the year we watch South America. Oh, boy. My goodness, that Brazilian bean crop so big is maybe not so yeah, big. Yeah, that's for sure. It's shrinking. Uh, you know, the, the, the last official USDA number, which was in December, was 122 million metric tons. And for a few weeks after that, it continued to get better. Some of those private estimates were 125 or even, a, I think somebody said 130, which seems a little ridiculous. But now, it's uh, I would say the consensus is probably something like uh, 115, 116, something like that. So uh, it's quite a bit off the top. And I think the, the damage is ongoing. So I think it's probably ultimately going to be lower than that. This is hot weather, dry weather? Both. Um, different areas have, have had problems, but uh, the, the southern area was too dry for a while, but it seems to be fine now, along with Paraguay. But um, the central and northern areas of Brazil are definitely uh, dry. They're saying about 55% of the of the whole country's growing areas had uh, less than uh, 50% of, of uh, precipitation over the last 30 days. And that's amidst higher than, than average temperatures, too. What's your sense of whether or not that estimate will continue to fall? I'd be real surprised if it didn't. Um, the, the harder question to answer, I think, is uh, you know what market impact that'll have. I was going to ask you that. Next. Yeah, I figured that was coming. Um, yeah, like I said, I, most of those estimates were probably as of January 1st, or at least the first week of January, and it really hasn't gotten better since then. Uh, Monte Grasso, the biggest production state, has is, is definitely been under under the gun here. So. Um, Let's just say it, it dips down to 112-ish, maybe something like that. I, I don't think the impact would be terrific, but if you start talking below 110 or something like that, then I think you could start to look at uh, uh, somewhat of a market response. I, I think part of the issue this year is that uh, a year ago, everybody was kind of lowballing the number there because they had some, some growing problems late in the season then, too. But uh, And so everybody kept going lower and lower, and then lo and behold, the number surprised everybody how good they were kind of like the United States the last couple of years. Uh, and so this year, I think there's a tendency not to go too low. But I, I don't know. I think when push comes to shove, uh, it will be a little bit lower than people are thinking. 
Clayton, let's turn our attention to China and everybody watching the talks and more talks scheduled for later this month. There's so much anticipation, so much hope built up on something getting worked out with China. Do you think those uh, hopes maybe are getting too far out in front and maybe uh, are becoming unrealistic? I think they're definitely unrealistic at first. I do think there's a growing skepticism now, and a lot of people are just kind of growing a little disenchanted with the whole process and expecting less and less, if you ask me. I mean, if you remember initially, people thought that there was going to be these massive purchases of them coming back to the to the trough for, for old crop, you know, for the current supplies. That's looking less and less likely, I think. I mean, they might still buy some, uh, but, you know, here we are. Uh, approaching the halfway point in the marketing year, and, uh, it, and this is a time of year when it, it's very unusual for them to be a big buyer from us. So, if I had to guess, I would think that you know, if and when an agreement is made, and you got to think it will be eventually at some point, uh, I would think it'll be more focused on new crop and, and you know, a pledge to, to play ball with us. You know, and I think especially with the Brazilian crop going downhill a little bit, uh, I think it's going to force their hand a little bit more. We're talking with Clayton Pope from Clayton Pope Commodities. Clayton, a lot of speculation this time of year always about acres for the coming planting season. There was just this expectation that soybean acres would be down considerably this year, but now maybe maybe not so much. Yeah, Mike, that's a hot issue for sure going forward, I think. Um, you know, who knows if the government will be uh, up and running by March 31st or not this year, and we get that notorious prospective plantings report. But uh, certainly I think uh, the expectations have already shifted a lot. Uh, you go back to the uh, baseline uh, report that USG came out with a couple months ago. They were talking, I think it was a 7 million acre reduction in beans and maybe a 4 or 5 million acre increase in corn. Uh, and some of the privates out there kind of chimed along the same lines. But uh, that's, I don't think there's any way it's going to be that dramatic of a switch now for a couple of reasons. Number one, the soybean prices relative to corn prices uh, continue to kind of amaze me, to tell you the truth, uh, the, the way that the corn-bean ratio has stayed pretty close to, to the long-term average, which there, there's no comparison as far as the, the stocks-to-usage ratio between beans and corn. Corn is, a, is much tighter, especially in the U.S. But um, I think you know, between the, the price factor, the, the soybean prices are hanging in there pretty well rel- relative to fundamentals as we know them. Um, that plus the fact that uh, in, in the... Uh, the the fall application of fertilizer and so forth to and chemicals for corn was really on the light side and I think a lot of those people might be sort of priced out of the market because the prices have jumped up so much for those inputs uh, that again would kind of speak to less of a shift I think a lot of farmers probably sticking more with their normal rotations well and that that always I think there's definitely sort of a misconception in the trade in general people talk as if you know you've got everybody ready to just flip on uh, you know, on a dime you know all their acres one way or another and and uh, that's obviously not the case most people are pretty much tied into a normal rotation but but certainly some of the the outlying areas are the, the east coast uh, the southeast growing area and, and the northwest growing area seem to be the most fluid and and they do tend to uh, make some you know dramatic switches late. So I mean, we could still be surprised, but I would guess the market's probably trading about a 2 million acre drop in beans and an increase in corn acres, if I had to bet. What's your thought on the corn market right now? 
Well, I have to be pretty friendly when I look at the fundamentals. Um, I guess if, uh, if if we had a total bust with China and soybeans did get hit really hard, obviously uh, that would tend to drag corn down. Right. But uh, barring that, and and, and I, I don't look for that to happen. I think, uh, as we talked about earlier, I think China will have to be in the market, uh, you know, for our beans at some point. But but corn, um, I mean, boy, you, you look at the acreage. Even if you increase acres by two million, uh, I've done some some work trying to put together a 2019 supply demand, mm-hmm. and and I would if if even if demand stays the same with the trend line yield, you're looking at about a one and a half billion bushel carryover, and that's not you know eyebrow raising tight by any means but it's getting pretty snug it doesn't leave any room for error Uh, and then you know you have china a lot of rumors that they are possibly going to want to come in as a corn buyer with their ethanol ramp up and that kind of thing you you put all that together and uh you know i think you can build a case for some support in corn we have about a half minute left in this absence of government statistics in this void are we poised for maybe more of a market shock when numbers do start to arrive? The lack of the, the export data, I think, is the yeah, biggest that's thing. That's what I was wondering. You know, uh, the other stuff seems like the private's going to take care of. But the export one, we just won't know until that comes out. We appreciate your being here, sir. Great to Thank be here. You. Thank you. Clayton Pope. Clayton Pope Commodities. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. Well, continuing our discussion of the agricultural trade, let's look at what happened today, the last trading day of the week before the three-day trading holiday. Board of Trade corn and soybean futures rose for a third straight session today. And a broad commodities and stock market rally sparked again by renewed optimism about U.S.-China trade talks. Wheat edged upward along with corn and soybeans, but then late in the day shed those gains as traders simply took profits going into the long weekend. Now, rumors of large-scale U.S. grain purchases by China riled the markets this week, but again, no official confirmation of such deals has not been available due to the partial U.S. government shutdown that has closed numerous divisions of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And uh, taking a look at those closing prices and uh, where we'll be starting the trade when the market opens on Tuesday, the grain market, March wheat ended today down a penny, 517 and three quarters a bushel, March corn ended up three quarters of a penny and will start the week trade on Tuesday at 381 and three quarters a bushel. And March soybeans up seven and a quarter cents and will start the week uh, on Tuesday at uh, $9.16 and three quarters cents a bushel. Turning to livestock, Well, China was also in that market today, the talk and the hope that China and the U.S. will get together. 
So hopes for progress in talks particularly lifted lean hog futures. Wall Street and commodities advanced after Bloomberg, citing people familiar with the matter, reported that China offered to go on a six-year buying spree, uh, spree to ramp up imports from the United States. Well, we'll see if that happens. But then entering the picture on this Friday and going into the weekend, the weather because uh, there are concerns about the winter storm. They were factored into the front-month cattle contract today. This prompted traders to sell the nearby contracts and buy deferred contracts as they unwound the recent spread trades. Storm could bring two to eight inches of snow from South Dakota to northern Ohio, with up to 10 inches in northern Iowa, according to the National Weather Service. And one trader said, everybody is talking about weather. Because weather of this type, with cold temperatures following the snow, tends to uh, slow down the weight gains of cattle. But uh, on the other hand, the lean hog contracts got strength today as China again reported another outbreak of the African swine fever. And uh, traders are still thinking that could have an impact on Chinese pork purchases from the United States. So at the end of the trading day, the April lean hog contract up a dollar seventy-five cents. It'll start the trade Tuesday at sixty-six dollars twenty-seven cents a hundredweight. February live cattle, the only cattle contract that moved lower, it was down forty-two cents a hundredweight, ending the week at one twenty-six fifty-two. The rest of the cattle months, though, were higher, but in feeder cattle. There, the January feeder cattle contract down 17 cents at $141.25. So, besides the China talk, there's weather talk in the marketplace today and over the weekend with the snow coming in. Oh, the other concern is the snow may not fall as much in winter wheat country And if it doesn't, that means the winter wheat could be susceptible to a freeze. And so they were talking about that today as well in the livestock trade and in the grain trade. And concerns about not enough snow cover to protect the uh, winter wheat crop. Going on to other things in the world of agriculture, more than four months after Missouri became the first state in the country to regulate the term, quote, meat on product labels, Nebraska's farm groups are pushing for similar protection from veggie burgers, tofu dogs, and other items that look and in some cases taste like real meat. But Nebraska lawmakers will consider a bill this year defining meat as, quote, and excluding lab-grown in or insect or plant-based food products. It would make it a crime to advertise or sell something as meat that is not derived from poultry or livestock. And similar measures aimed at meat alternatives are on the 
talking block in Tennessee, Virginia, and Wyoming. And they come amid a debate over what to call products that are being developed using the emerging science of meat grown by culturing cells in a lab. Supporters of the science are embracing the term clean meat, language the conventional meat industry strongly opposes. And the issue strikes a very strong chord in Nebraska, one of the nation's top states for livestock production, where cars roll down the interstate with beef state license plates, and the governor of Nebraska each year proclaims May as Beef Month. And while we're talking about beef, uh, let's talk about Taiwan for a moment, that tiny island off the coast of China. I've had the opportunity to travel to Taiwan several times over the decades. As a matter of fact, I've made quite a few friends over there, and uh, they are now involved in continuing to be an important purchaser of American beef. We don't have the final results yet for 2018, but uh, all indications are that Taiwan will exceed $540 million worth of U.S. beef imported into that country, and that's more than doubling in just the past five years. U.S. Meat Export Federation recognized restaurants that have been dependable and faithful, featuring U.S. beef products on their menus, and uh, just a lot of strong stories on beef from the United States in this small island nation. It's um, really quite a year in which we're looking at record amounts. If you've ever been to Taiwan, you know that they are strong friends of the United States. And uh, with two months of data still to be reported, uh, experts in Taiwan have already surpassed the record set in 2017. Through October of this year, of 2018, exports totaled 49,135 metric tons. That's up 34% year over year and well over the full year record of 44,800 metric tons. And what's it worth dollar-wise? Export value, $455 million. That's up 36%, shatters the previous high of $410 million. Good to have a friend like Taiwan in the world because although they're small in population and size, they do have an impact on agricultural prices here in the United States. Well, we're out of time again. Thank you for joining us. Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson on The Markets.